Open your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. want to review a little bit. What we're doing is we're trying to lay some groundwork before we do our grand opening and mail out to the community to talk about the kind of church that we ought to be and where we're going to go in the future. So here's some of the things that we've covered in our new building here. The first is that we're going to preach Christ, Christ crucified, risen, coming again from this platform. The foundation of everything that we're going to do is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, here's a question for you. Are you all excited about that today? Let's turn our focus. Man, the music's been great. That song by Abby, every time I speak his name. That should mean something to us. You know, there are people in the world who do not know the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to preach that name from this platform. That's the foundation of who we are. Then we're going to become a welcoming church. And we're going to keep going with that. We're going to do more greeter training and how to be a welcoming church. We're going to make sure that the facility is clean and safe and all of those things that we've talked about, that people know where to go when they come into the building. We're going to be a welcoming church, and we're going to understand that all of us have a part in that. If a guest comes and the only person they meet is you, what will their impression be of Grace Baptist Church? Is it a warm church? Is it a cold church? Is it a friendly church? Is it a bad breath church? If they meet you, what are they going to believe about Grace Baptist Church? So we must become a welcoming church. And then we saw that all of us have a part in that. We must heed the call of God on our lives. All of us. God has something planned for each and every one of us, a call on our lives. What is it that God wants us to do? God has not finished. Aren't you glad God's not finished with you? Then this morning, I want to keep that idea going, and it's this. I put it in our Christianity 101 uh, series. This is new material today because it really is foundational to who we are. Why are we going to preach and teach theology at Grace Baptist Church? We're going to dive into that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Lord, help us this morning. Help us to understand why it's so important to know who you are. Lord, help us to realize the, the, the importance of that in each of our own lives here. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we dive into this, this morning, I'm going to try and be interesting, <laughs> do the best that I can. This is going to be a little bit more, you're, you're going to read a lot. I've got a lot of slides today. Um, so I really need you to plug in on purpose for this. But let's look at this. Why theology? And if you'll notice, this is kind of uh, similar to our book, Why Baptist, and Dalton Robertson and I are working on putting out a book called Why Theology, and here's the reason for it. Some of it is in this. Um, I have requests right now to go to the Philippines, um, Malawi, and Africa, 500 pastors there to have the opportunity to train them, Um, Myanmar, which is Burma in Asia, And then this summer, Brother Fagali wants me to go to Egypt to teach pastors from all over the Middle East. You know, they translated Y Baptist into Arabic. And so he wants me to come and teach that again. Um, This is such a need because, this is real important, there are plenty of theology teachers in colleges. 
The problem is pastors teaching theology. There's a big difference between a theology professor using big words, you know, soteriology, homardiology, all of those types of things. There's a big difference between that and a pastor who understands the needs of the people in his church still communicating the, the key doctrines of the Word of God to people so they know who God is. There's a big difference in that. And so that's the heartbeat behind what we're doing. And Dalton wrote an article, Why Theology, and he had me proofread it. And I said, this is so good, I'm going to preach it on Sunday. So you'll recognize some of Dalton's flowery speech in some of my points. Some of this is my stuff. Really, a lot of the key thoughts are from Dalton's article. It was so good. I said, I need to communicate this at Grace Baptist Church. So why theology? Let's look at this. Here's what Albert Einstein said. I do not believe in the God of theology who rewards good and punishes evil. I do not believe in the God of theology who rewards good and punishes evil. So here is my equivalent statement to that. Okay, ready? Quote, Jim Alter, you can write this down. I do not believe in the theory of relativity. I do not believe in gravity. Well, I can choose to believe or not believe in anything I want to. That doesn't change the reality of the subject. So just because Einstein didn't want to acknowledge a God who rewards good and punishes evil, that says nothing about God. It says a lot about Albert Einstein. And if you know anything about Einstein's life, he didn't want anyone imposing on him. Uh, I've got a book, uh, Einstein in the Bible or something like that. And he, there's an account in there. He had gotten married and he decided he didn't want to be married. But remember in those days, what was that lady going to do? It was, it was a tough time. And so he made rules for her to be able to stay in the house and live with him. Things like do not talk. Patrick's grinning really big. I don't know if he's wanting to adopt that rule or not. I'm not sure. Can you, seriously, can you imagine that? What he did, he wanted to have a life based on his own rules and his own principles. Well, that's great. But it's just like we have to function within the laws of physics within this universe. We also have to function within the spiritual laws of the God of the universe who created all of this. So this, this statement, I do not believe in the God of theology who rewards good and punishes evil. That statement is a statement of theology. Remember, what theology is, it's the study of God. So that is a statement of theology. It's just bad theology. See, we all have a theology. We all have something that we believe or ideas that we hold about God. It's the job of the church, a church like Grace Baptist Church. And when I say the job of the church, sometimes people use the church as in all believers everywhere. I'm talking about the local church. It's the job of Grace Baptist Church. It's my job as pastor of Grace Baptist Church to make sure that if you attend Grace Baptist regularly, that you have the right ideas about God. That's my job. That's what has to happen from the pulpit here. That, what, that needs to be the basis of our Sunday school classes, of our children's ministry, of our discipleship. We all have a theology. Our theology is either true or false. 
But we all have a theology. We all believe something about God. Even if we believe that he does not exist, that's a theology, right? So we all have a theology. It's either good or bad. The problem is we don't really know what to expect from God if we don't know who he is. We don't know what to expect from God. Here's what people say. I can't believe that God would do that. Why did God allow this to happen? Why is this going on in my life? You know, there are people who believe that if they say something in Jesus' name, that God's required to do it. Let me say that again. There are people who believe that whatever they command in the name of Jesus, that God is required to do that. The reason he's required to do that, according to them, is because Satan defeated Jesus on the cross. And so now we have control over what Jesus does. That's bad theology. I was with someone who taught that one time, and they had a brand new Mercedes. So I'm riding along in their brand new Mercedes. And I said, in the name of Jesus, God wants you to give me this car. He got real quiet, never said anything, and did not give me the car. So either Jesus failed or that's bad theology. Right? So we all have a theology, and if we don't know who the God of the Bible is, we don't know what to ask him. Remember, the Bible says that if we ask anything according to his will, he will do it. That means if I want my prayers to be answered, I need to know what his will is, and that's what I need to pray. How can we do that if we don't know theology, if we don't know who God is? So we all have a theology. We have an understanding of God that is shaped by several things. First, it's shaped by the truth. If you have the word of God and you take the word of God in its context, then you'll have a good understanding of who God is. Is that fair? You with me on that? Or we have our imaginations. And people imagine things about God. Remember, that's the what would Jesus do concept. And that's where you imagine what Jesus would do in a certain scenario. Well, that's my imagination. What is an imagination? An imagination is something you believe that is not true. An imagination is something you believe that is not true. Now, it's great for a child to have an imagination. We like that. Sometimes kids have invisible friends, right? Make-believe friends, invisible friends. That's what I had to have because nobody liked me. No, no, that's just not true. Maybe a little. But imaginations are things that we believe that are not true. Well, that's fine when you're a kid if you're, you know, you're, you're imagining that you're a superhero. You're imagining that you can fly. The problem is if you imagine that you can fly and then you try it, right? That's when your imagination meets reality, and reality always wins. And so when we meet the God of eternity, we, our, our idea or who God is, what we have believed had better be based on truth and not on what I imagine God to be. And there's a lot of that going on. Or someone else's imaginations. Now, I never, and I mean this, I never watch those awards programs. You know, the Grammys or whatever. I don't watch that stuff. First of all, most of those people are pretty evil people. Secondly, they hate us. They hate us. How many of you know that they hate us? Right? They can't stand us. They hate us. And yet, you'll see a thing. I want to thank God for this award. You've made a pornographic movie and you thank God for it. Right? That's an imagination about a holy God that does not exist. Are you with me on that? That's an imagination. So our ideas about God are either based on truth, our imaginations, 
or someone else's imaginations. Understand, we are all influenced by the culture. And when we hear people talk about God, we can succumb to their imaginations about God. So what we have is our idea of God is either based on the truth, our imaginations, someone else's imaginations, or some unfortunate mixture of those three. So we need to get rid of the imaginations about God and go back to what the Bible says. How many of you, when you think of that word imagination, you think of that song, Imagine? John Lennon, what a stupid song. Imagine there's no heaven? No, there is a heaven. How do I know that? Because Jesus Christ said, I go to prepare a what? A place, not an idea, not a concept, not an imagination. I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a real place. And eventually that holy city is going to come down from heaven out of God or down from God out of heaven. And it's going to be like a bride adorned that new Jerusalem. We're going to live in that new Jerusalem. It is a place. It's a literal place. We don't need to imagine. We can believe and stand. Then the only standard for an unassailable theology is the word of God. The only standard for an unassailable theology is the word of God. And that's why we want to go to Psalm 19. Let's look at this. Psalm 19, look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Now, that's the foundation. Look at all of the things that the Bible here says that it's going to do. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. Do you believe that the law of the Lord is perfect? It's perfect. And what does that do? It converts the soul. The New Testament statement on that is being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. See, the Bible, the word of God, that's our standard for belief in God and for everything that we need to know about God. The Bible is our standard for that. The scripture is the source of sound theology for the believer. That's it. The the, the Bible is the foundation for that. And a problem that we have is too many Christians don't know what the Bible says about God. They get their theology from bumper stickers. Now, recognizing that our doctrine comes directly from Scripture is not to say that we cannot be taught theology by men. Let's read that again. Recognizing that our doctrine comes directly from Scripture is not to say that we cannot be taught theology by men by men. There's a mistake that people make. They think that because the Bible is our authority and we get our theology from the Bible, that we then ignore what men have written about the Bible. That's not true. God has used men all through history to help us understand things from the word of God. Amen. The difference is those writings are not authoritative to us. This is our authority. But those works, those writings, you hear me quote Spurgeon or others all the time. Uh, Spurgeon himself said, those who do not borrow the brains of others prove that they have no brains themselves. Isn't that true? 
There's no way. So if we do produce this theology book, we're not going to create something new. We're going to read dozens of other theologies and put them together in a way that's more helpful for our age, our time, based on the King James Bible and a dispensational understanding of the scriptures. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to create something new. I like to say it this way. Doug, if you ever find anything in the Bible that no one else has ever found, you're wrong. Amen? God has not hidden his word from us for 2,000 years. He has revealed his word and the Holy Spirit teaches us his word. And yet, we can learn from the teaching of men that God has used throughout history. So we're all commanded, this idea of teaching and of teaching theology, according to Matthew 28, we are commanded to teach all nations. Remember, there's this little passage, it's called the Great Commission. Let's look at it, Matthew chapter 28. All right, Matthew chapter 28, look at verse 19. Go ye therefore, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Do you see that? Go ye therefore and what? Teach all nations. Now, some modern translations change that to make disciples. Go and make disciples. Well, a disciple is a learner, a follower of Christ, a learner. How do you make a learner? You teach them. Okay, so what, what this is, this is our methodology. We're not going to go and just scream at people. We're not going to go with guns and knives and require them to believe. We're going to go and teach them the truth of the word of God. That's the foundation. What are we supposed to teach them? Look at what the Bible says here. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So we are commanded to teach. Then look at what, it's, what we have up here for you. In Acts 2.41, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So there is the need to continue in the apostles' doctrine. So we're going to teach... We're going to teach them and then baptize them. We're going to teach them all things whatsoever the Lord commanded. And then we're going to teach them how to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Well, in order to do that, we need to define some things. What is doctrine? Doctrine is God's truth in God's words. That's what doctrine is. Some Bibles change the word doctrine to teaching. To teaching. The illustration that I use is trigonometry. Who here understands trigonometry? Would you raise your hands? Okay, hold those hands up. Everyone else, look around. How many of you are doing okay without it? Would you raise your hands? You're doing okay without it. Now, what these folks could tell you is you really wouldn't do okay without it because the cars you drive or the planes you fly on or whatever can't be done without the use of, can't be created without the use of trigonometry. Is that right? Or am I wrong? See, because I don't even know what trigonometry is. I really don't. I asked Jacob, what is trigonometry? And he couldn't explain it to me either. So I don't know what it is. And honestly, my life is fine by not knowing that. I'm glad there is someone to teach that because we need people to design computers and build airplanes and do those things. That stuff is important, but it's not vital to the average person to know it. That's teaching. The doctrine of, listen, the doctrine of salvation by grace 
That's vital. For your eternity. That is, that's the difference between teaching and doctrine. Doctrine is God's truth in God's word. That's, that's our understanding of the word. The technical definition of the word doctrine is things taught. Things taught. So what, what are the things that we are supposed to teach? The things that the apostles taught. The things that Jesus taught. That's the foundation for what we're doing. Where are we supposed to do that? When we come together in the church. Now let me deal with something here real quick. There is a teaching, and it's called hyper-dispensationalism. Hyper-dispensationalism. So, we are dispensationalists here. And everyone who believes the Bible is a dispensationalist. Everyone who believes the Bible is a dispensationalist. Even those who would not call themselves dispensationalists. I'll ask them, do you believe in an old testament that's different than the new testament they'll say yes well then you believe in at least two because a dispensation is just that you go to a dispensary to get something it's a dispensation of truth it's a giving of truth and what god has done is he divided the bible into basically seven different periods of time and in each of those periods of time there is information given that you're held accountable for and you either submit to that information and you're blessed, or you defy that information, reject it, and you're judged. And that's the way the Bible is put together. We are in the dispensation of the church, that is, the local assembly, that God's plan in this age is to reach the world through local churches. Now, here's the good news. You don't have to be a member of a local church to go to heaven. That was such a weak amen right there. I'm going to start over. I'm going to threaten you guys to start this sermon over. You do not have to be a member of a local church to go to heaven. Amen. Amen. You do have to be a member of the body of Christ to go to heaven. And you're placed in his body, in Jesus Christ's body, by the Holy Spirit, when you're saved, when you're born again, when you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. That's when you become a part of that body of Christ. And then the Bible says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are in, if you're saved, you are in Christ right now. Isn't that awesome? We don't have to wait for a rapture to be in Christ. We don't have to to wait for Jesus Christ to return to be in Christ. We are in Christ right now. But God's plan in this age is for the New Testament church, this structure that we have here with a pastor, with deacons, with ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, God intends for that organization to be the way that he reaches the world. Hyper-dispensationalists don't believe that. How many of you know people who go to home churches? Home churches, right? Who's the pastor? Who are the deacons? How do they observe the ordinances? What about church discipline? How many of you are glad that you can't get kicked out of your own family? How many of you want to be kicked out of your own family? I saw some faces out there. You can't, you, you, once you're born, you can't be unborn, right? You can be disowned, but you're still a part of that family. See, it, it, that's the idea of church discipline. If there's no such thing as church membership, when the Bible says to set someone outside of the body, you would be taking their salvation away from them. I'm just telling you, you guys need to be very thankful that I can't take your salvation away because some of you guys have ticked me off. Can you imagine if I could take your... Isn't that silly? Can you imagine if I could take your salvation away? If you're not a member 
of something, you can't be removed from that. Are you with me? Are you following the logic? How many of you understand the logic of this? You have to be a member of something in order to be removed from that membership. That's what being set outside the body is. God's plan is for the local church to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and to teach those things. That's who we are. That's what we're doing. Um, I have heard that there has been some of that teaching from people who have been attending Grace Baptist Church. Let me just tell you something right now. That's over. Go. Here's the job of the pastor. Here's the job. Protect and feed the sheep. Part of the protection is for me to make sure that false doctrine is not taught at Grace Baptist Church. That will not happen here. That will not happen here. And so that will, that's, that's done. And so what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we stand on the apostles' doctrine. Now, let me deal with something on that. Sometimes, because I'll make a statement, that won't be taught here. When I make a statement like that, people say, you're a cult. You guys can go and do anything in the world you want to do. You just can't do it here. What's the sports center thing? You don't have to go home, but you do have to get up out of here. How many of you understand that there's a difference? I'm not going to come and knock on your door and say what you're allowed to teach in your house. That's between you and God. My job as pastor is to determine what's taught here. That's, that is my primary job, is to discern what is to be taught here. I make mistakes. If I go back 15 years and listen to some of my sermons, God forgive me. <laughs> we make mistakes. We're just people. I, my teaching is not authoritative. The word of God is authoritative. But my office, my role here is to protect this church and those of you who are in it from the encroachment of false doctrine. Let me give you some examples of the, what this hyper-dispensationalism teaches. It teaches things like baptism is not for today. Okay, so look at Matthew chapter 28 with me. And look at verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So Jesus is going to be with us while we teach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we baptize and then we teach them to observe all things. How long is he going to do that? Until the end of the world. Now, I'm not that smart, okay? But that hasn't happened yet. How many of you here agree with me that the world has not yet ended? Are you with me on that? Some of you aren't sure. I'm worried about you guys. I'm just telling you, this is one of the simplest things in the world, what I'm telling you right now. It's one of the simplest things in the world. Churches baptize people. Are you with me on this? 
so this foolishness that baptism isn't for today. Here's another one that's supposedly not for today. Go to 1 John chapter 1. Look at verse 9. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm really thankful for this passage. Look at what the Bible says. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you are thankful for that passage of Scripture? The hyper-dispensationalist says that's not for you. You don't have to confess your sin anymore. Confession of sin isn't for this age. Do you see why that's called hyper-dispensationalism? What they're saying is that only the church epistles, those things, those books written by the Apostle Paul, only those are for today. The Gospels aren't for today. You don't get your information from there. So that's why the Great Commission doesn't apply. Any of the books after 2 Timothy, none of those are for us today. They're for only for those people in the tribulation period. That's why that's called hyper-dispensationalism. They're cutting the Bible up in such a way that you cannot apply it properly. You can't do it. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It is all profitable for us. We do live in the church age. Those New Testament church epistles written by the Apostle Paul have specific details for us. But those people in... Let's just look at it. Look with me at uh, 1 Peter. Let's do Second Peter just for time, a little easier. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, verse 1, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now remember, we're continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Is that what we're doing according to Acts chapter 2? We're continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you, that's you? This is for you. So the idea that that information is not for you is heresy. It's wrong and it hurts people. I'm so glad that I get to confess my sin. I'm so glad that that baptism identifies me with Jesus Christ, with the local church, and with the doctrine that that church teaches. I'm very thankful that the Lord's Supper makes sure that we maintain, that we maintain a holy church membership. If someone's living in open sin, we do not allow them to take the Lord's Supper. That's what church discipline is. It's excommunicating them. You don't allow them to take communion. You set them outside of the membership of the New Testament church. You see, our theology, what we believe about God and his work through the word of God, that is what determines how we do ministry. It's not Jim Alter's preferences. It's the word of God. That's how we are going to minister. So, if you have anyone tell you that the church is supposed to be in the home, is it okay for a church to be in a home? Sure, if it's a local church. When my father started Faith Baptist Church in Wallingford, Connecticut, he started it in our house. But the idea of that was to grow into a body that had functioning members observing and defending the ordinances, baptizing people and sending them out to plant other churches. 
The location isn't the issue. The idea that the church is only your home is wrong. It is completely and blatantly unbiblical. All right, so let's go on. Apollos, though an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, that's how he's described, had the way of God expounded, explained, exposited unto him more perfectly. That's what we're supposed to do. See, the work of the New Testament involves as its core operation people teaching people. Remember 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same, the same, teach that of faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. All right, so that's, that's the work of the New Testament. And theology is not merely for seminarians and professionals. It is for every believer. It's for every believer. How does that happen? So here we are, we're, we're talking about these things like hyper-dispensationalism. Well, if you have somebody that's getting in your ear telling you, you don't need to go to church, you don't need to be a part of a local church, you don't need to join a church, that's wrong. The Bible says we are members one of another. And then in that same book of the Bible, you're set outside of that body in church discipline when you're not living right. That's what the Bible says. It's a clear teaching of Scripture. And let me just tell you something. Don't, don't miss this. I don't speak like this very often. If you're a guest here, this is not our normal thing. But I'm going to say this very clearly. Do not misunderstand what I'm telling you. Every person, every person, Every individual, everyone, every individual that teaches that house church or that church membership is not, a, is not for this age, every time, it's a submission problem. It's an authority problem. Every time. If you have someone tell you that's not it, they're a liar. Every time, it's an authority problem. Every time. And let's talk about that authority issue. So am I speaking authoritatively right now? There's no doubt that I am, as pastor of this church, laying down some things. When's the last time I knocked on your door and asked you what you were watching on television? When's the last time I looked in your cupboard to see what you're eating? When's the last time I looked at your radio to see what you're listening to? We have no control over your lies. I don't want any control. I can't control my own life well enough, let alone controlling your life. We are not legalists here. That's a good place for an amen. We are not legalists here. I am not. If you're going to be in leadership here, there's some standards that you have to have. And they're really crazy. Don't be naked. Come to church. Don't fornicate. You know, just crazy rules like that, you know? We're not legalists. And yet, listen, I like what the Apostle Paul said about false teachers whose mouths must be stopped. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I would that you speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. How are we going to do that when we get all of our doctrine from the scriptures? Every doctrinal position comes straight from the word of God. That's what we're going to do. 
and we're going to take those passages in their context. So theology is not merely for seminarians and professionals. It is for every believer. Let's look at the definition of theology. It's the study of God. Theology is the study of God. Theology is the passionate pursuit of God in truth. If you want to know who God is, you need to find out. And that's a pursuit. It involves the desire of the pursuer of truth to study God in a way that brings their faith to bear upon their daily living and expectations. Let's read that again. It involves the desire of the pursuer of truth, that's you, to study God in a way that brings their faith to bear upon their daily living and expectations. What do you expect from God? Whatever you expect from God, you need to know what God says in order to have the right expectation. Look at the Philadelphia Confession. There was, in 1742, a group of Baptists. Remember, it was against the law to be a Baptist in a lot of places in the United States in 1742. wasn't the United States yet, in the colonies. And so a group of Baptists in Philadelphia put together a statement of faith, a confession of faith. And this is what they said in, about the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on Him. Interesting statement. The doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on Him. So our communion with God, our comfortable dependence on Him, is conditioned on the soundness of our theology. Let me explain that to you. How does that work? How is my comfort and communion with God dependent on the Trinity? Well, God the Father created me, and He has established certain rules for my life. That's God the Creator. God the Son loved me so much that he came into this world and died on a cross to pay for my individual sins. And when I trust in him, God the Holy Spirit comes to indwell me. And what does that indwelling do? Convinces me of sin, shows me when I'm wrong, helps me to know what's right through the word of God. He saves me. He preserves me until the return of Jesus Christ. So what does that, that, that doctrine of the Trinity do? It gives me comfortable dependence on him because I know who he is. See, all of our hope is based on a clear understanding of the word of God. Many believers are tossed to and fro. That's what it says in Ephesians 4. Many believers are tossed to and fro because they are not grounded doctrinally. You got to know who God is. Our ideas of God are flawed and therefore our faith is frequently <clears throat> disappointed. When our idea of God is wrong, that's when I'm disappointed. When my idea of God is right, he will never disappoint me. Amen? He will never disappoint me. What we believe about God is what enables us to stand and persevere. What we believe about God is what enables us to stand and persevere. How does that work? When I trust scripture, not memes. Now, I like memes. They're funny. I enjoy those. But they're not authoritative in my life. And it's amazing how powerful an image with some words is. And it can sway people's thinking. It takes a little longer to understand who God is than a meme. We need scripture. That's our authority. Theology has fallen on hard times. Modern churches are religious entertainment halls and pop psychology centers. Is that true? Conservative churches are hardly better. They leave aside genuine biblical preaching and teaching for personal agendas and political activism. Man, when the heartbeat of Grace Baptist Church becomes politics, we've gotten off the rails. 
When all that we talk about is Jim Alter's personal agenda, we've gone off the rails. It's vital that our authority is the Word of God and the teaching and preaching of it. So why should every believer learn theology? Number one, there's no genuine worship apart from sound theology. Remember, we've said this often. The transcendence of our worship is in direct proportion to the depth of our knowledge and understanding of God. Let me say that again. The transcendence of our worship is in direct proportion to the depth of our knowledge and understanding of God. You can only worship him when you know who he is. Deficient knowledge produces deficient worship. Are you all with me? We doing okay? All right. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Don't you think that's a pretty good verse for that teaching? You can't worship God unless you know who he is in truth. Where's the truth? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. All right. Let me just... The, uh, that idea of that hyper-dispensationalism not being taught here, here's the problem. Some of the people who are buying that, and it's really just a couple of people, like three. They're nice people. Well, nice people can teach false doctrine. It's convenient. You ready for this? This is going to sound mean. I'm just going to tell you the truth. It's convenient that the hyper-dispensationalists who like to come to Grace Baptist Church don't believe in giving. Now, if you don't have any money, come to Grace Baptist Church. We love you. But don't come and try and bring false doctrine in here, taking advantage of our heat, of our teaching, of our labor, of our food. And and you're not willing to give a dime for some spiritual reason. How about you spiritually never step foot in this building again? How about that? God's a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I'm just telling you, what I'm doing right now, somebody's going to say, he was really mad. Apparently, you've never seen me mad. (laughs) I do get angry about false doctrine. I do get angry about mooches and thieves, and I can't stand that stuff. Um. Modern Christians really don't want to meet Jesus. They wouldn't like John the Baptist at all. I'm not Jesus. I'm not John the Baptist. But that kind of, what we're doing here in this meeting, some people say, well, you ought to do that on a Wednesday. You ought to do that. No, we got to do it in the general meeting when everybody's here to know what's going on. Our theology is based on the Word of God. That's the foundation for everything that we do. And I'm not going to let a couple of nice people undermine who we are. It's not going to happen. And here's what happens. These are the people that pretend to be the spiritual people in the church. Right? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All right, let's go on. If you're a guest, you must think we're crazy. We're really not. Sometimes you've got to do a little house cleaning. We cannot hold to unbiblical opinions of God and genuinely worship him at the same time. We cannot hold to unbiblical opinions of God and genuinely worship him at the same time. Arthur Pink, he said, God is solitary in his excellence. He alone. That's how we have to worship him. 
So think about this. To communicate adoration to God for his excellency, we need a measure of understanding of what this excellence entails. Amen? To communicate adoration to God for his excellency, we need a measure of understanding of what this excellence entails. The study of God, that's theology, produces this awareness. Here, here the scripture, Psalm 29.2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Amen. Then, number two, faithfulness suffers without theology. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's Hebrews 11.6. A faithful life that pleases God is predicated. A faithful life that pleases God is predicated upon what we believe about him. That's who we are. If our theology is flawed, our approach to pleasing God will be flawed and our faithfulness hindered. God's plan is to reach the world through the local church. Remember, repetition in the Bible is God's volume control. The word church is used 115 times. 112 of those are local assemblies. The church at Philadelphia, the church at Smyrna, the church at Colossae, the church, they're local assemblies. The emphasis of the scripture is the local church. The church at Sydney. Aren't you glad we're not the only church in Sydney? We don't, we don't believe we're the only people with truth. Praise God for that. Number three, the hope that sustains us is rooted in theology. Waiting is difficult, isn't it? It's tough. Much of what we are promised as believers and therefore have come to expect is yet future. It is hope that enables us to wait. That's the hope of the scriptures. That's what Romans 8 is about. By enduring what God requires of us and taking comfort from the scriptures, there's the theology, we can have hope. Amen? We can. Praise God for that. This kind of hope is the result of believing what God has said. Then we've got to understand it as he meant it. So we are not leaning on our mystical imaginations. We're leaning on what God has said. Then number four, the only antidote for doctrinal error is biblical theology. The only antidote for doctrinal error is biblical theology. Shallow preaching has left most of today's Christians frighteningly vulnerable to a host of heresies. That's why we have to have doctrinal preaching. Listen, you guys don't have the time to investigate doctrine the way that I do and have. That's my job. That's, that is what you pay me for. That's a scriptural thing. Remember, look ye out among ye seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. For it is not reason that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. The word of God in prayer to serve tables. We will give ourselves to the ministry of the word of God. That's the job of the pastor. Studying, 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 preparing, understanding the doctrinal heresies. How many of you had never heard of hyperdispensationalism before today? Would you raise your hands? And yet there are people that are trying to undermine our teaching in this church. That's my job to stop it, to stop it. Then, because as long as the ship is sailing on a steady course, few people care that it's taking on water. So here's what happens. And I'm done. This is, this is it. I think i got one or two more slides. Here's what happens. Churches get to where we are. We're growing. It's exciting. New buildings. And I, I had a teacher in college who said this. The Greek word for compromise is mortgage payment. 
Soften the teaching, soften the message so that you can build a crowd. Well, if, we're, if you are perpetuating error in order to build the crowd, does that bring glory to God? No, no. So we're going to stand on doctrine. What we need is a church, theological preaching, doctrinal teaching, God-obsessed worship that shapes the thinking and living of the saints. Theology is a good thing. There's no need to defend the study of God to people who love, worship, and serve the Savior. Why theology? Because the study of God is the foundation of everything that we do. And understanding the Bible in its context, that's what keeps us going on the right path. And it gives us the discernment to know what God would have for us to do. Amen? Let's all stand together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. Lord, I'm humbled by it. And Lord, you know my heart.